Hello, everyone.、Uh, welcome to our podcast program from the Roundabout. And today we have a full house.、Uh, yay! Yay! Dee is in Virginia now. She made it. Hello from Virginia, from sort and, of the south. Yes. And、uh, our audience cannot see, but Dee is、uh, rocking a short hair right now. Yep. Yep. Back to my default pixie. And also, Wi-Fi is here with us.、Um, oh, so well, hi, Wi-Fi. Henry is his cage, so、mm-hmm. he's not、Brandy. working today. <laughs> um, amazing. So we have a full house, and we have two amazing guests today:、uh, Sarah Williams and Catherine Lethen. And we will let our guests introduce themselves. Sure. Hi, my name is Sarah Williams.、Uh, I'm a creative director and designer based here in Portland, Oregon.、Uh, I'm also the host of Comedy 101 at the Hollywood Theater, where、oh, I get、cool. to gush on the regular about the comedy films performances that I love.、Um, yeah, sweet. And hello, I'm Catherine Latham. I am a independent consultant and business founder. My company specializes in helping bring ideas to life and helping bring goals within reach by bridging gaps.、Um, I, in a former life, I studied and、uh, briefly practiced structural engineering. I love bridges, which is one reason I love being in Portland, Oregon. So you may hear some bridge references pop up from time to time. Thanks for having me. Cool.、Um, so we should say.、Um... You know, this episode is about transitioning into freelancing and solopreneurship.、Um, so we have、um, Sarah,、uh, Catherine, and also myself. We are all doing solo work these days. So we thought it would be very interesting. And also, you know, today is March twelfth and Spring Forward Day. And March is、uh, Women's History Month, so we thought it would be a really good time to bring in, you know, women and business women who are very、uh, driven and inspiring in our lives. And so, without overdo, we're gonna kick off our conversation with this question: What made you decide to go solo? Yeah, so you know, going solo was always something. That I thought about doing, you know, loosely planned to do so in my mid forties, because that's when I saw everybody else in my field starting to go solo was around that time. So I figured, like, yeah, that that makes sense. That's when I'll end up doing that.、Um, but the opportunity presented itself last year. I was,、um, gosh, I had wanted the creative director title for so long that had been my goal throughout my entire career. I started it in publishing in New York, where I'm from. Uh, when I moved out to Portland, you know, made career decisions to get me to that point. All ones that I stand by and I'm really proud of, and loved the agency job that I had. I had an amazing team, but、uh, got a peek behind the curtain of what was actually happening financially in this in this agency, and、um, unfortunately, but also fortunately.、Uh, Everybody was laid off <laughs> one day about a year ago、uh, over a four-minute-long Zoom call, and after that,、um, I just kind of said the amount of stress 
tears, sleepless nights, stress that I was experiencing from trying to make this crum- financially crumbling agency try and work. Um, I could do less with just myself and be more <laughs> successful than they had been doing. Um, so that's kind of what spurned me to, you know, try it, you know, the opportunity presented itself and, you know, and of course I'll, I have to give the, the caveat that I do have a partner who has a stable government agency job that, you know, allowed me to, to take the leap into something that wasn't, wasn't permanent. That was, you know, having a, um, a variable income, not knowing where my income was coming every week, every month, but, I honestly thought, you know, a big part of it was safeguarding myself and deciding to go freelance. I knew that the the people that I used to work for were pretty litigious and vindictive. So I wanted to, one of the first things I did when I decided to go solo was set up my LLC because I wanted to continue doing the work that I was doing. And I didn't want anybody getting in my way for whatever petty reasons that might be. But, um, yeah, it's been it's been about it's been about a year now since I've done that, and it's been um, it's been really exciting. And um, of course, it's had its ups and downs. You know, understanding that it's kind of like swimming in the ocean. You know, it ebbs and it flows, and sometimes it's feasts, sometimes it's famine. I was working all weekend on a rush project, but you know, that's um, it's my time, and I de- I decide what boundaries I have, and it's been really fruitful so far. I have a follow-up question for you, Sarah, but we'll loop back around after Catherine shares yeah. a bit about her her journey to solo as well. Yeah. So, you know, Sarah, a lot of what you said resonated with me. Um, I, I, I'd always been curious about entrepreneurship. I have some friends who are serial entrepreneurs and I always felt a little jealous. Where do they get, where, you know, how do they do this? How do they trust enough to take these wild leaps of faith? Um, So it's always something I think I'd wanted to do. Um, There have been many small business owners and entrepreneurs across industries in my family. Um, But I'm also someone who really values stability and security. Um, I So kind of the beginning of this journey was um, early 2021, I left my corporate job. Uh, I had no plan other than hoping to take most of a year off. And I was privileged and fortunate to have been able to save accordingly to enable myself to do this. Um, I'd also, I was one of those people who moved back home during the pandemic. So my living expenses were practically nothing. My intention in doing this was to find a better and healthier way for me to work. But at the time, I never thought solopreneurship would be that path forward for me. I assumed I'll, I'll, the dream job will present itself. It will become clear. I'll chase something aligned with my passions. I'll end up with the leadership role at some great company or organization, and I will be happy forever. And then a series of things happened that made me see that the only way to have this dream job, the meet the criteria I'd outlined as what the dream job looks like, was for me to create it for myself. This also was paired with a realization through some freelancing work. I'm, I realize I'm terrible at time off because a week into my time off, I took on a massive project, which was helping a law school 
figure out how to safely bring students back to campus in the era of COVID. So high stress, lots of work, but it was very enlightening in that it showed me that just because a goal or an idea or a project is absolutely critical to a business or organization's well-being and existence does not mean that they have access to the resources or have the resources in-house to execute against that goal or project or idea. And so that really planted the seed that I have this talent of being able to get things done, for lack of a, a more eloquent word. And to be frank, the when I first set out to start this business, I told people, I'm going to get shit done for people. I'm going to tackle the hard things. Point me at it and I will find a way. I've, I've come up with much more eloquent language since then. <laughs> I mean, that sounds great to me. That does resonate with a lot of people. But that was, so yeah, that was 2021. And then I moved back to Portland again, thinking this would be part-time or not part-time, but not long-term. Um, and then I started job hunting and even when I was interviewing for and finding success in that process, the dream job, what, what the dream job should be, there was always something missing now that I tasted what it was like to work for myself. Sarah, like you Mm -hmm. said, my time was my own. And that was one of the biggest things for me. Um, you know, oh, you can have two weeks off a year. I was like, well, I, you know. I want to take the time off I feel I want and need when I want and need it now that I've experienced that. Um, And so, yeah, I I realized that I had to create my own dream job. Uh, Joe is one of my first clients and I just started reaching out saying, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm available. I'm doing this. And it's an evolution. I've, I'm really honing in on my niche and my messaging, but I intend to do this forever. And um, I will also echo what Sarah said that, I too have a partner with a stable job and they are, we're really willing to be my foundation and rock during this time, encouraging me to do this, even though it meant that I needed to lean on them a bit more heavily um, in in those times of famine, because it's not all feast. So I'm, you know, it does take a village, uh, so much support um, from others in my life or others who have been uh, down this path of independent work before me. And so I, I have to credit the larger community that that supported me as well, because I think I would have walked away from it sooner, feeling like, why am I doing this wild thing? I could have a nice cushy job in a corporate office, being stressed out of my mind, but this, you know, I could have that. And so many have encouraged me to stick with it when I've questioned it. So that's been crucial mm-hmm. in, in helping me arrive here too. Yeah, that's actually a nice segue, I think, into talking a little bit about each of your your identity roundabouts and the different identities that are intersecting with your identity as solo entrepreneurs to inform that experience. So uh, just to briefly go over the roundabout idea, you can imagine us standing with you uh, on each of your identity roundabouts, and we're looking out at the different paths um, or roads to your roundabout. And obviously one of those roads is that solo entrepreneur identity. Maybe another road is your identity as a daughter, as a mother, as a sister, as a sibling or whatever, right? And maybe another identity like for me is my identity as a mixed race person or a person with uh, able-bodied privilege or whatnot, right? So these are sort of different aspects of your identity that we can um, look at metaphorically as, as roads and it would be great to hear from each of you which of these roads are sort of most 
significant or present for you right now in addition to the the solo entrepreneur identity um sarah you want to you want to kick off yeah first thing that comes to mind is and i've been doing a lot of research about like kin keeping and what it Mm -hmm. is to be like an oldest daughter of a family the oldest grandchild i have found throughout my life you know the amount of um, responsibility and the the unspoken assumption that because i'm the eldest of three siblings, you know, she can handle it. She got it. You know, don't got to worry about her. She has her shit together. Like Mm -hmm. she can just get it done. But a lot of that is I found throughout my life, you know, having to uh, keep tabs on people just to check in, you know, always make playing, not so much playing peacekeeper, but like the, the idea of kin keeping and how women have to you know, there's so much always going on in their heads of things to think about. Like, has this person been fed? Have I checked in with this person? Is this person feeling comfortable? Like always trying to make sure that people are uh, fed either physically or emotionally or support wise. Um, that's that's always been a big thing that I've approached my work with. I, I like to approach things holistically and make sure that we're thinking about things from all angles. Um, since a big part of my career has been an art director, um, you know, I, I ask questions that people aren't asking, you know, I'm, you know, if, if I have a client who is, <laughs> you know, looking for a specific look and it ends up being like only a white person that they're looking at, it's like asking questions, like, what are you trying to convey here? Like, what, what are you, re- like, who, what's the market? What are we looking at? But always, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that's, that's a big part of it too. Um, when I think about you know, my identity as a, as a white woman and the privilege that I've had, um, a big part of what I want to do now that I'm solo is, um, if presented with the opportunity to work with small businesses or people who would be categorized as like a small disadvantaged business for whatever mm-hmm. reason, be it by race, be it by if they're transgender, whatever that is, you know, I, mm-hmm. I have these skills, but I don't need to charge them my full rate for that. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds I like, it sounds like you're, you're thinking about equity. Like you're, you're, you're absolutely. coming at it with an equity perspective. Absolutely. So absolutely. if you can support uh, other businesses in ways that are, sensitive to their location and the challenges that they're facing than that exactly uh, then you're going to do that yeah. I know like I mean reiterating that I, I have a partner who has a stable income and I'm able to you know make choices within my career and my and my entrepreneurship that you know may not be the best financial decision for me but you know I had a conversation with my father-in-law like within the past couple of months where he was asking us like what's your definition of success Mm-hmm. And he was like really struck by both me and my partner. We didn't list finances as a reason for what we determined success to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's really more important is that I'm using my skills to help elevate other people and other businesses that may mm-hmm. not have means to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, I always grappled with that, you know, like I'm a designer, like I'm not saving lives, like the work that I'm doing, <laughs> isn't, you know. I'm not on the front lines battling COVID or anything. You know, mm-hmm. it's how can I how can I do good with with the the fancy art field that I'm in? You know, <laughs> it's all important. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all part of it for sure. <laughs> 
Catherine, are you are you ready? I see you writing. <laughs> okay, so I mean, three things come to mind for me. Interestingly, the one that came first to mind is being a younger person who identifies and the world identifies as female. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to think I could I could headbutt my way through. Like I, I played. I don't want to say I used to doubt that sexism existed, but I used to think I can shine so bright that people won't mm-hmm. hear what my gender is and they will see me for what I'm worth. And it's interesting because in speaking to some of my former leaders in corporate America, until recently, they too held the same belief. And then they started to notice they were getting bullied at work by their male peers, that they were being demoted and their male peers were being promoted. Um, that men were, and that part of the reason behind that. And this is not to shit on men. Men are wonderful. <laughs> I love many men. Um, this is a reflection of some challenging experiences and things that are in my mind as I mm-hmm. move through the world in this business sense. For sure. But, you know, I'm sure we've all heard the, the statistics about, you know, there is a, a study where the same interview questions were given to someone who identified as male and female and the women were, you know, graded as aggressive and rude when the men were graded as like successful and confident. And Mm -hmm. I heard that type of thing echoed to me from leaders. And I must say, I felt very few, I felt very few instances of what I would perceive as being perceived differently as female in my career so far. But there's just this awareness that within the culture I live in, people might see me differently. I felt like I've noticed recently on, on a new video, on video calls where I'm meeting somebody for the first time, I feel that I need to wear a minimal amount of makeup or I look sloppy. Um, I've rearranged my my Zoom background. Sarah, Joe, this may look a little different to you because I was like, I need to be 100% buttoned up. My website has to be perfect. My LinkedIn needs to be in tip-top shape for me to be taken seriously as an independent businesswoman selling herself as a, uh, or her, her, her capabilities rather, as a consultant. Um, something else that I think is very interesting is women helping women has been so real in this journey for me so far. 90% of my clients, my referrals, my introductions have been from women in my network who introduced me to other women. And I think that's really fascinating. Not to say that men have not been interested but the support from women has been material, very material, something that's measurable to me mm-hmm. um, in a big way. And I, it's really interesting reflecting back on that. I never would have expected that, which I feel terrible. I feel bad saying now that I say it, because why wouldn't I? That's, that's happened so much throughout my life. But that's something I'm deeply grateful for and consistently shocked by is to receive these emails out of the blue. You should meet this person. And then that person turns into a client. So being a younger female, that, that's kind of how that shows up for me. Something else is this engineering brain I, I have and love. For Well, I love it. All those in my life, I find it a little annoying sometimes. Um, <laughs> but with it comes this firm belief that I can design my way out of anything. And I think that's a big thing I took from my engineering background. You know, I can, I can no longer design a concrete beam like that. I, I need to dust off the textbooks for that one. But what I was left with is this design process and a firm belief that with the right information and resources, pretty much any problem can be solved, which is a core foundation of my business. And also, which kind of flows into my the last identity I'll bring up, which is I live in this 
mindset most of the time of kind of idealist or optimistic in a good way, I think, because, you know, sometimes in situations where my clients see pure chaos and no easy way forward, I see endless possibility and an exciting opportunity to design a solution is one way that shows up. I also have this firm belief that business can do good while being profitable. And I am still figuring out how to experiment with my business in that way and prove that out. But I, I, you know, as Sarah echoed, I, I have a certain skill set and I firmly believe that can be used to enable others um, to experience good in their life or maybe, or not enable, but to, to help support others along their journey to realize positive change in their own experiences and lives. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to use this business to prove that out. How I will do that is a work in progress. So I, I'm always open to ideas, but I, that's just very important to me. That's part of the meaning behind what I do is a firm belief that business has, it has to be good. I think the future depends on it. Um, yeah, definitely. It's interesting that you both have, um, sort of designer roads to your, uh, from your roundabout, mm-hmm. whether it's designer or artist, uh, which I sort of see as, you know just that creative uh, soul. And, you know, while that's obviously part of the work that you're doing, it's also, it seems like you're, you're both very intentionally designing your lives mm. in a certain way, mm. uh, which is really cool to see. It's really inspiring. Design is problem solving. Yes. Yeah. That's what it is. So it's, I mean, mm. any, any, any topic, anything, you know, it's, it's how, what, what's, what's unique about this, how it's presenting itself and like, how can we make this work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, Dee, I love what you said about designing your life because for me, there has been a profound sense of freedom and power in realizing that I don't have to do what I, what the world says I do. I don't have to work nine to five. I don't have to work Monday through Friday. And that mm-hmm. is a privilege for sure to be able to say I I can step outside of this framework. I can take five weeks off in the second half of the year and also deliver amazing results and solutions to my clients. I've never felt so free and so empowered professionally in my life. So it's wonderful. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. One of, I feel like, you know, I've had these moments where I've thought, oh, I could, I could, you know, try to establish myself as a consultant in various ways, but it's, but it's, it's scary. Great. So I'm wondering for each of you, you know, what were, what was the biggest fear or what were some of the biggest fears for you as you were making that decision um, or on that, that journey towards solo? I think a big part of it was discipline. It's a, it's a constant reckoning. Well, I went to college because that's what you were supposed to do. You know, I, mm-hmm. I read this amazing book years ago called The Crossroads of Should and Must. Uh, by L. Luna. It's this beautifully watercolor illustrated book, but what it presupposes is you're, you're faced with all these shoulds in your life. Like you should have a nine to five, you should have health insurance, you should have all these things. But of course, some of that is, you know, it's not just given to you by this country, but you should have all these things. But what must you do? What, what are the musts in your life and kind of weighing out like, is this a should or is it a must? And kind of with that in mind, like kind of grappling with over the past year or so, like now that I've made this decision to go freelance, to start my own business, to build something from the ground up, I kept having these conversations with myself, like, you're an adult, 
you know this, but like you're an adult. So like you get to decide whatever it is you want to do. Do you want to just like lay on the floor moaning all day? Like that's a decision. You could do that. But is that the most productive thing to do? Probably not. So all the decisions that you make during your day, like they're 100% up to you. So how are you spending your time? I took like the first, the first three months or so after I got laid off, I went like full goblin mode and just like a lot, lot of couching, a lot of catching up on TV that I hadn't seen for a while, but then kind of, you know, forming that into what are, how, how, how do I want, I don't need to conform myself to any one way of working. Um, and there were so many different, I mean, having a background in publishing where it was, you know, weekly publishing, you had weekly deadlines to hit every day was had its own special chaos to it in order to get to that goal. And I learned a lot from that. And a lot of that is in the very foundation of how I approach my work. And so it's, it's fast, it's efficient, but is that really the way that I want to be working? Is that good for me? Is that good for my 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 cortisol levels? Is that good for like <laughs> how my face breaks out from all this stress? But it's, you know, again, like I'm an adult. I am in charge of my own life and my own destiny. You know, putting in place a routine that feels that gives me the space to do my best work. And that might not be, you know, between the hours of nine to five, it's finally leaning into my own tendencies and leaning into things that like, I know I can do design work in front of the TV at nine o'clock at night watching Abbott Elementary, because that's, <laughs> I know I can do great work, great design work at that point. So mm-hmm. it's creating a life that feels balanced, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm accountable to myself. You know, what goals do I have? You know, anything that I'm not achieving, like that's, that's me not, you know, uh, pursuing what I think that I should be doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm still dwelling on this decision to lay on the ground moaning all day. <laughs> I love that image. You could, you, I did that for, <laughs> I did that for a little bit. And it was, I mean, I had my dog do accompany me too, which was really nice, yeah. but it's like, yeah. yeah, like you're an adult. These these are all your decisions. Like, right. <laughs> how do you want to live? Right. I might try it just for a change of pace. Hmm. We've I'm all right. had our floor moments. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> how about you, Catherine? So I mean, it's been I it's been a bit of an evolution in the fears. But when I was first starting out, my first fear was, do can I offer? anything of value, especially because my skills these days are more based in business. They're a little softer. I'm not a computer, um, you know, I'm not a programmer. I'm not a CPA. I'm not a graphic designer. Um, and so how do I have anything to offer? Now I've landed enough, you know, as I landed more clients, I realized, oh no, I apparently have quite a bit to offer. And then I wondered, but Will anyone, you know, I fear that no one would see my value enough for this to be a sustainable path forward. And as my client base and revenue grows, I, I also see that that um, that's not really those aren't really fears I hold anymore. I'm pretty confident mm-hmm. in the value I provide through this business and and consistently hearing that others see it, too. And then there's this other set of fears, one being and this is something, too, that I. I feel less these days. But when I was first starting out, I used to think, am I going to financially ruin myself? 
am I going to, am I going to burn through my savings and have nothing left to show for this at the end of the day financially, especially as somebody who is saving towards my first home, et cetera. I was, I was really concerned that I would regret and resent this decision financially. Although again, these days I'm, I'm feeling much more comfortable there. And something I will note about those, like that fear is that I have been shocked and delighted to find that I am much happier carrying that stress than the stresses I did when I had a corporate, the high pressure. Yep. I would have never guessed that the fear of, well, I run out of money and not be in like me. And again, I mentioned I'm I'm privileged and fortunate to have a partner who, who was down to go into this journey with me, but like I pride myself. It's very important to me to be able to provide for myself yet that fear is less than, or is less weightier on my soul and even my body than, you know, my leadership needing something from me at the last minute or feeling like I'm underperforming in a corporation or whatever. And then kind of going back to that identity of being a female and doing this, something that's an open question for me is, do I want to have a child or children? And can this business support that? Um, especially thinking about wanting to, you know, I came from the tech industry. So in most roles and most companies, the the maternal leave policies are very generous. Um, Like at Meta used to get like, what, six months off and $4,000 of baby cash. So just wondering, you know, compared to what I thought I might have three years ago, if I chose the motherhood path in through the channel of having my own child. It's a little terrifying to think about running your own business and as a solopreneur, and then also potentially stepping away for an extended period of time to have that experience I hope to have. So that's open-ended and it's, it's a, I'd say it's, it's part curiosity and part fear at this point. Definitely resonate with that. I just had a very, very quick kind of like thought that you know, had I had a lot of like life responsibilities, like say family, you know, I don't have to take care of my parents and that's Mm -hmm. extremely fortunate. Um, So yeah, I fully agree. It's, yeah, the the financial thing is huge. Huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those. I, I was asking the question also with, you know, our our audience in mind, like if there are folks out there that are thinking about it and then mm-hmm. but they also have the same fears that you've maybe brought up, uh, it can, you know, it can be reassuring to hear that that folks have had those fears but have still powered through and, mm-hmm. and seen success um, after that. Yeah. And sort of in line with that, what would be your advice to someone who who is earlier in the journey than, than you are? towards solo entrepreneurship? Two things that jump out to me. And one, this is something I'm still living. I haven't been in business for three years, but what, well, let me backtrack to my first piece of advice, which is talk to as many solopreneurs as you can across industries. I spent the first six months doing this, not focused on business development, but focused on talking to other people who'd struck it on their own from garden designers to building designers to graphic designers executive coaches and just saying, I'm new to this. What's your advice? And I received so much helpful input and encouragement. So going back to that idea that it takes a village, I had no idea how strongly these strangers would show up for me and, and just encourage me and provide advice. So if you're curious about this, talk to others who are doing it. I guarantee they'll be willing to, to take your call 
and will probably have helpful advice for you and might even introduce you to their own network, to their own clients. I got so many, how can I help you? Um, questions at the end of calls. Something else I would say from that, the overwhelming, I, I've heard this from so many people I spoke to during that time, plan on the first three to five years being a little rough. What I've heard is, you know, referrals are really for, especially independent consultants or uh, folks in similar fields. And Sarah, I'm curious to hear if you've heard this too, referrals are going to be probably your one number one source of business development and winning new clients, but it takes a while to build up your, your base. So yeah, I've heard plan on three to five years of before you really feel secure in that question of where is my next client coming from? And with that, I would say one of my regrets is during that first year where I was just freelancing, I wish I'd been networking my face off. So if you are curious, I mean, it's going to, networking helps you regardless of what your career path is. But if you think independent consulting or independent whatever might be right for you, build out that network because I, you know, I, I think I could have been much further ahead in that referral cycle if I'd spent that year off focused on networking versus, oh, I'll do that later. So those are just laying on the floor moaning. Yeah. Yeah. Which, and I must (laughs) say, sometimes you need to make that decision and it's great, but yeah. yeah. So that would, those would be a few pieces that of advice that come to mind for me. If I could, yeah. Like echoing that a big thing for me was, I mean, the idea of networking um, is just like sand in my mouth. It's just, I, I hate, I hate the idea of networking, like going to networking events. It always just felt so disingenuous and like, everybody's there for the same reason. And it it never felt like a viable way to get business going to networking events. So a big shift for me over the past year was well, like, I knew that I had to just like get over that fear, that, that uh, point of view that I had on networking and instead think of it within the lens of relationship building versus networking. So totally agree with you, Catherine. Yes, you are talking to as many people as possible. And I would add, not just asking for what advice they would have, and not just from other solopreneurs, everybody I talk to, you know, advice is valuable. So everybody I talk to, I would ask them two questions, you know, what advice do you have for me now, either as a solopreneur or any experience you've had with this sort of thing, but following it up with actually three questions following up with two other things, you know, who, who in your network should I be talking to now? So making sure there's an actionable thing there that you can grow your network with and offering your help to that person who has just imparted advice to you, like anything you working on, like, I'm not even saying like hire me to design your business cards or whatever. It's, are, are you stuck on a problem? Is there something going on in your life that you can need help with? Like a friend of mine uh, was like, actually, I would love, how do you do a type on a path tool to make like a swirly text? I'm like, I can help you with that. So it's just being able, like you're growing relationships. It's you know, just, just being, you know, a good, a, a kind friend. That's yeah. So just be a kind friend. <laughs> Sarah, that resonates so much with what you said about relationships, because I too, I'm a, sometimes people are surprised to hear this, but I'm like pretty shy. I was a kid in kindergarten who linger, like had to be like removed from my mother's calf because I was clinging so tightly. So like, you know, new people isn't always my most comfortable zone. 
Um, and when I shifted, had that same shift, don't send, I mean, eat to each their own. Those, those like net informational interview request email templates you see on like online, that's not for me, but just being like, Hey, can we form a genuine relationship, a two way street? It's so different. And I'm such, so much more comfortable. Um, and something that's really helped me and this takes people aback, but back a little, every time someone sends me a connection request on LinkedIn, I ask for a video call. And I was, um, I, I had such a call with the CEO of an ad tech company recently. And he was like, what do you want to sell me? I was like, nothing. But if you're going to reach out to me on LinkedIn, we have to build some type of relationship or oh, we're not. Yeah, good for you. And then he was delighted. And we had this great talk about families and how, you know, barely touched on the business component. But at the end of it, he was like, I want to hear from you again in six months. Can you reach out again? This was great. And so I think what you said about genuine relationships is key and remembering that network is give, get. Mm -hmm. No, I think too, I mean, you brought up a good point about, you know, being shy. I think about my own past. Um, I was, I was bullied mercilessly in elementary school and middle school. And like prior to that effervescent, I mean, it's more of like what you're seeing now, just, you know, very personable, love to connect with people, but then you know, even some of that bullying, you know, we mentioned before, you know, being bullied by by colleagues. Like I was bullied in my twenties in publishing. It's just like just clicky and girl groups and stuff. And you know, those those experiences shape you and they make you doubt yourself and rethink. You know, am I good enough? Uh, should I not be putting myself out there? So a big a big surprise and lesson over the past year was again just like just be, be genuine. Like I had a great conversation with a friend who was laid off recently, who was, you know, also in publishing and he was saying, I feel like I've, uh, I've exhausted all my publishing opportunities in this town. And I guess now I have to like go work for an agency and like drink the Kool-Aid. And I said, why would you, why would you do that? Like you're, you're going into interviews then under false pretenses. You are masking you're putting on a facade just to just to get a job and to make money well I know that's important but like why would you purposely put yourself in a situation where you're not going to be comfortable where you're coming under false pretenses where you're not going to be doing the work that you want to be doing and working with the people that you want to be working with um so I found just really lean into who you are and all that makes you unique and you. And, you know, before Catherine, you mentioned, I think you mentioned perfectionism. And I've, I've definitely, I have struggled with that my whole life. It's, it's a big part of, that was a big selling point to my identity in my twenties and my early thirties. And now it's, um, I like to say that I'm a recovering perfectionist. It's, but leaning into the things that make me unique and knowing um, not everybody's going to resonate with that. And that's fine. I don't have to please everybody, but I know that I feel that I'm, I know that I'm going to be doing the best work that I can be doing if I'm giving my most authentic self and not bullshitting people about what I'm not. Um, For sure. Sarah, something interestingly I've heard too from others is that that when you can embody that, is when you start to see sales success because you shouldn't be for everybody. No. But when you stop feeling the pressure to try to be and start leaning into what makes you special and unique and who you want to work with and who you don't, and when you can start saying no 
or when others can start saying no, that means that others will say yes, because um, you feel something unique versus broadly, I'm here for everything and everyone. So I, I love that spin you put on it because it, um, I'm, I'm curious to hear if that's turning into sales magic for you um, now that you've kind of moved into that space. I don't know if it's, I mean, it's only year one. I don't know if it's turned into sales magic, yeah. but I have a big, a big part of it too has been like boundary setting. I found mm-hmm. like I had a, a, for a client reached out earlier this week asking, you know, we have a bunch of 3d assets we need to be made and we'd love, you know, we love working with you. And I was just honest about it. Like I'm not a 3d designer. Like this is how I would approach it, but I really think you'd be better off hiring somebody else. And they, they appreciated the honesty there. Cause I'm not just trying to get their money. It's also if I was to take that on, I would just be miserable and stressed because I've never done that before. And I don't feel like I'm giving like the, the right amount of service and end result, you know? Yeah, I resonate with that too. Like, I know my work is good, but also my work is not for everyone. And, you know, like in my field of work, like equity, diversity, and inclusion, it's very easy for me to discover if or when a potential client really is ready to do the work. And if I sense, you know, they are just want to talk or just want to check off some, you know, list, like for me, that's not exciting. So when that happens, I'd rather, you know, not do that uh, versus trying to mold me into, you know, whatever yeah. services they want. So you know, I, it kind of reminds, like, so Catherine and I, uh, we met because Joe hired us to design. I designed her website and Catherine wrote the copy for it. Um, Catherine and I are now partnering on another website project. And I landed that account because during the interview process, you know, they were, they kept saying they're looking for a web designer. And eventually I said, you know, I, I don't refer to myself as a web designer. I'm, I'm a, I'm a creative, I'm a creative director. I'm a designer, but I am not a web designer. Like you're getting somebody who is coming to the table, thinking about your business holistically and the information that you're trying to get across. If you're hiring a web designer, you're hiring somebody who is, simply just doing web design. And that's not how I approach my work. We're thinking about it from your unique needs as a business. And as I was saying that, I'm thinking to myself, like, this is this is being real honest, and I'm not just trying to sell the service and try and get this person's money. You know, if this, if this is what turns them off to me, that I'm not a web designer, and I'm more of a whatever it is, um, then so be it. But I felt really good about that. And then I got feedback that, when I had said, I don't think of myself as a web designer, I'm this instead, that is what made them decide to hire us for this, because I wasn't just coming into it, like, you want a web, you want a website, I'll give you a website, here's a template, like, I'm actually thinking about it um, realistically, and thinking about it, like, more bespoke, it's not just, like, a one solution for everybody. Do you all feel like, because I'm hearing that there's some benefit to being, I don't know, sort of picky with the the clients that you do take, right? And making sure that you what you offer is really aligned with what they need or want. But I'm wondering, like, early on, when you're starting off, I'm sure it can be hard to balance that, like, because you're, you know, especially if you don't have a larger financial cushion that is providing you some comfort to try things out, like, really, you might feel like, oh, I need to take anything that I can get. 
so how do you how do you balance that in, in the beginning if, if someone's early on in this yeah I think a big and I'll, I'll I will I will get to your question but I think a big thing that I've thought about over the past year was a big and I think Catherine was the one to actually give me this advice was something to the effect of I had to reckon with that you know, the hours that I have during a week that I give to myself, it can't all be spent doing billable work. So mm. what's the ratio there of billable to non-billable work? And what fits into that non-billable space? What What's the amount of time or effort that I want to put into everything that falls under non-billable? That's business developing, business development, that's networking, relationship building, that's creating spec work. So I found, I don't have a ratio to give you, but I found over the past year, any project that came my way has been through my network, through connections. Not every project I've had has been work that I've enjoyed doing. I've been hired to do like some PowerPoint presentations that just like, absolutely is just like, just the the depths of my soul are just, you know, dying doing PowerPoint <laughs> slides, presentations, but it's like, all right, you know, I'll I've do it because I, I have to balance out. But like on the flip side of things, like I'm also making sure that, you know, every two months or quarterly, I am partnering with people who are and mentoring them for mm. to create test and spec photography and videography work that will benefit my business, but will also benefit their portfolios and can also work as spec work for potential clients. So I'm making sure that if I'm taking on projects that I don't feel particularly jazzed about and that I'm just doing it for the paycheck, I make sure that I'm that there's a yin and yang, that there's a balance there. Like you can't just do cardio all the time. You got to stretch as well. You got to think about strength conditioning. So it making sure that, I mean, again, too, like the idea that it's going to take like a minimum of three years to see any sort, whatever your definition of success is in order to feel like you're on your feet as a thriving existing business. Um, knowing that long-term planning in that way, knowing that I have like th at least three years of test projects that I need to be doing and carving out time to create work that I feel really good about and that I am proud that is 100% mine. That isn't, I'm not working for another brand within their guidelines. I'm creating things that um, are pitching my services that I feel excited about, that the people that I'm working with, I feel good about. Um, it just long-term planning in that way has been massive, massively helpful. Do you, I, I would echo much of what Sarah says, especially about planning and thinking about like, what, what does the long-term vision for me look like? But I also say there's no direct answer to, I haven't figured out, I'm still figuring out how to balance it. And one piece of advice, well, and maybe this isn't the approach for everybody, but one piece of advice I would offer is leave room for some amount of organicness. Now I will say there, I know some people who are like, I am, this is what I do. Like I know one woman who is, she's finding a lot of success as a fractional sales leader. She works in a certain space. Her network is in a certain space. She always knew she wanted to do exactly that. And there has been some play around what, what are the right services and products for her to offer. But she has always known exactly what she wanted, like what value she wanted to create for her, for her clients. It was more ambiguous for me. I think it was it's deeply fruitful to experiment, to be open to new types of projects. And so I always, I wanted this business to be defined by, and what my services and offerings are, the needs of the market. 
And, and that, that has taken me in some directions that I would have never expected to go where I found a lot of fulfillment. It's taken me in some directions I thought I would love where I've realized I do not want to work with this type of client again, nothing against them, just the inherent realities of, you know, being a startup at that stage or whatever, or that in that industry, excuse me, are not the right fit for me. And I would also say, I think it's crucially important to know your financial worth and to not settle for less. That's a guiding star for me. Um, You know, oh, you you want me to do this project, but you cannot come in at a a rate that I feel is fair and reasonable. It's not going to be the right fit. And so I think for me, a guiding star, the guiding stars were knowing what I want long term financially, how I want to feel when I engage with the client, like what do I want this to create for me emotionally? I want to feel a sense of excitement. I want to feel a sense of contentment when I complete a project. I want to feel valued and respected. Yeah. So, so coming up with guiding stars and allowing for some flexibility within your, your offerings until you're, you, you land on those things that are something I'm working on is building out services that are repeatable and scalable because that's how I'm really going to experience um, growth. Um, And also the things I mentioned needs to be something I enjoy. I need to feel valued, all that good stuff. Um, I keep getting hired to do websites. And I'm like, that is not what I expected to be hired for over the past year. But I'm like, okay, like I can do it and I'll do it. It's just, it's like, is it that flexibility there of when I, when I was laid off, I thought, I loved what I was doing there. I had a team of people that I loved managing. I was managing photographers and videographers and stylists and creating you know, media content for food and drink and skincare brands. And my, my business called word of mouth is, is that it is creating that. But I knew that in order to do that, I'm going to have to lean on the design aspect of my background for a long time. And, you know, I'm still figuring out what the balance of that is, but allowing, you know, it's right now, it's more important that I'm working with people whose values align with mine, that I feel that I'm respect, there's a mutual respect there, um, that I'm being paid adequately for the work that I'm doing. And um, of course, if there's like, some inherent value there to me, you know, if I'm working with a business who's, you know, it's in the nonprofit space, or if it's with somebody who is disadvantaged in some way, you know, that that feels really good and allowing kind of like what the actual work is, be it designing packaging, be it creating a website. Like I can, I can, I have the foundational skills so I can mold myself in a lot of different directions because I found because of wearing so many hats throughout my career and working on such small teams where the world was asked of you for very little pay you know, you kind of become like a gen, a creative generalist in that way. So you have a lot to offer. So you can be flexible in that way. Awesome. So we're going to transition to road signs now. I do feel like we've had a lot of really cool road signs already along the way for each of you. But when we when we talk about these, we're envisioning actual like signs on your roundabout for people that happen to be, you know, seeing your roundabout uh, in their journeys. So it can be, uh, you know, advice uh, or it can be some sort of guidance for how folks can most productively interact with you or respect you or, you know, honor different aspects of your identity. 
So if yeah, if there was one thing you would like to just shout out on the top of your lung or like create a gigantic sign, what would that be this moment?、Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we're laughing because Sarah just showed us a sign over video here <laughs> that says, "Do you want to say it, Sarah?" It says, "Trust the process."、Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I find、um, like. I have to remind myself of the, when you when you first said like there's going to be a road sign like this is the first thing that popped into my head because I have to remind myself of this constantly.、Mm-hmm. Um, we all have feelings of imposter syndrome, but trust that like you've done this long enough. You've you know you've developed like developing developing processes for myself was one of the you know again three months goblin mode being complete dirtbag great. But also during that time was figuring out like what processes do I need to have in place in order to make myself be successful. One of the phrases that I would always say to、uh, anybody I was mentoring or、uh, managing was like, you know, set yourself up for success. Like, do the prep work that you need to do so that on game day, on shoot day, whatever it is, like you have your your mise en place. Everything is prepped. Everything is ready. I'm constantly having to remind myself, like, to trust the processes that I've developed for myself. I'll get, you know, in a logo project, like, I'll feel within myself, like, this feeling of, like, or any project really, like,、uh, like a deep feeling of anxiousness will come over me, and I'll start to procrastinate, and I'll start to find excuses for not doing the work. Again, this ties back to. You're an adult, you know. You're accountable to yourself and the projects that you take on. You start to feel that that inclination of like, I can't do this. I, I don't know. I don't know where to start. I don't. I don't. Oh, I've taken on this project and now I feel like I'm not going to be able to deliver. And just reminding myself, you have a process. Trust it. Go back to what the process was. You have it laid out for your clients so that you can walk them through it, so that they have the awareness of like what process you're taking to deliver. What they've hired you to do, stick to it. Like, there's a reason why your process works. There's a reason why you spend so much time developing, you know, your discovery phase, your mood board phase, the creation phase. Go back to it, trust in it, and just it just shoo shoo away those feelings of imposter syndrome and those like pixies flying around your head saying、yeah. you're not good enough, you're gonna fail. Just know that you know you have a process and trust in it. Like that's that's the biggest advice that I could give. I I need to have that like as a print in my office, like、mm-hmm. above my、mm-hmm. face at all times. <laughs> Love it. Thank you, Sarah. How about you, Catherine?、Um, well, first off, Sarah, let me just say when you when you held that sign up and on the screen, I my heart swelled because it's like yes, <laughs>、um, something that resonates with me too. But so I don't steal your road sign.、Um, <laughs> What came to me when when I first saw this question via email was like one of those multi. There's like a few signs on a pole here. The first being、um, stay on the road. Like I said, I I think my best life is doing something like this forever. Whatever form it takes, I, I want to forge my own path professionally、um, and and work for myself or、um, something similar to what I'm doing today forever and. As I mentioned earlier, that's a decision you have. I have to make every day.、Um, plenty of days I want to cut and run and go enjoy the security of of a different type of job. But so it's just a constant reminder that this is it.、Uh, I, I want to stay down this path. Second is curves ahead. This resonated 
kind of, I felt aligned with trust the process a bit, not so much my own process, but the overall process that this thing is. Like I said, I've, my business model is focused on evolution. That means it's not going to be a straight line. That means I don't know what exactly my business is going to look like in one year or three year or five. So just being ready for that and, and accepting that it's going to be a, a curvy process for me. And then lastly, have fun. I'm doing this because it's a better way to work. And, you know, there are times where I, I allow myself to lose sight of that. And uh, I, I want to remember that I'm doing this because it's an investment in my happiness and my well-being. And so sometimes that means not staying up until 1.30 a.m., fine-tuning something and, you know, saving that for, for the next day. Or maybe that means saying no to a project that would be financially excellent, but just does not feel aligned with what, how I want to be working, et cetera. So yeah, I think if I can follow those three, and I would say if others can can incorporate those into their independent journey, I think that's a recipe for success. Love it. I fully kind of like resonate with uh, both Sarah and Catherine, you know, the process and stay on the road. And I really wanted to mention that, you know, it's not like someone, we wake up one day and decide I'm going to go solo. Like, mm, it's not yeah. like that. Like, like leading up to deciding I'm going to do this on my own, that's already a process. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't know where I'm going with this, but I wanted to say everyone here in this conversation, we are we we already are pretty seasoned, you know, from our previous career or journey, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think it really takes a lot of courage. Um, to do what we are doing today and also it's never too late it's never some people would say oh you know i i don't know if uh, the the boat has shipped whatever um it really is never too late if you want to do something and want to create something for yourself i think that's my thought here and also i just realized that we're all dog owners yeah (laughs) (laughs) wonderful Um, something else I want to say too is it's never too early that's something I with is it too early in my career I've heard of like 18 year old real estate agents being wildly successful and so I'm just saying no and and yes of course a healthy dose of realism and planning is helpful there but yeah it's never too early either yeah excellent advice well I am for one so grateful uh, for the time that you've given and everything that each of you has shared during this conversation. I learned a lot. And do each of you have anything that you wish we'd asked? Or how do people find you? That's another one. Oh yes, that too. Yeah. I wanted to add one quick piece of advice for a good surprise that I had over most recently. Um, I had heard horror stories about, you know, getting hit in taxes when you go freelance, when you go, when you start your own business. And I made sure to save 33% of every paycheck that I got, put it into savings, did not touch it, left it. I know 33% is probably a little bit more than I needed, but I was like, just in case I'm going to do like an exact third of the paycheck. Just did my taxes for the first time as a, uh, solopreneur freelancer and um man those write-offs that you can get as a business owner working from home are 
pretty sweet. So that felt that felt really good not to have any surprises come tax season. And then as for, you know, where you can find me, you can find me. I have two websites. My freelance portfolio of past work that I've done is at samuai.com, which is a dumb URL and every URL I've ever had in my life has been stupid, but that's spelled S A M U W I.com. But you can also find me at wordofmouthpdx.com, which is my business website for my content creation production company that I've started. It's called Word of Mouth because I found that the most of my business that I get is through word of mouth. And a lot of the content that I love to create is food and beverage related. So cutesy, yeah. you know. Um, and you can also find me quarterly at the Hollywood Theater. I am hosting Comedy 101 July 12th. Still TBD what film we're showing, but I'm hoping to show one of my absolute favorites of the past two decades, Wet Hot American Summer. I, just, <laughs> I could quote that movie from start to finish, but um, it's going to be a good time. Yeah. So yeah, again, I'm Catherine Latham and you know, if you or someone you know is has a big exciting idea related to your business you'd like to bring to life but aren't sure how, I'm here to help. Um if there is a problem keeping you up at night as a challenge, again, I'm here to help even if not in a paid capacity. I always love to have that introductory conversation and and brainstorm um kind of how I would suggest moving forward. You can find me on my website, workwithlatham.com, and Latham is spelled L-A-T-H-A-M as in Mary. So thank, thanks for having us. This was really Yeah, this is great. I feel thank excited. You. Delighted. <laughs>